success in business equals subordinating yourself to the team's success and recognizing that there's no individual failure or individual success without team success and, and being a part of that. And so I know, I know a lot of self-help uh, books and podcasts and things talk about leadership. Sometimes I, I'm not sure we wouldn't be perhaps better served to talk a little more about followership. Oil and gas today is more than exploration and production. It is more than the feet drilled or the hours of continuous pumping. The oil field is a group of people, companies, technologies, and institutions working towards providing the world with safe, affordable energy that is sustainable for the billions of people that depend on the success of the industry. The Oil Field 360 podcast is a 360 degree deep dive into the leaders of the industry who will provide listeners with a firsthand account of what it takes to build, maintain, and lead the energy business into the future. The Oil Field 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors, Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, one of the largest and most experienced energy investment banking firms in the industry, offering M&A advisory, capital markets execution, and investment research. For more information, please visit SimmonsPSC.com. Lockton Global Energy and Marine, uncommonly different. Lockton is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Lockton's global energy expertise is centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Visit Lockton.com for more information. Tomahawk Safety, a leading manufacturer of safety gloves ergonomically designed for superior fit, offering best-in-class protection and helping you combat the industry's toughest jobs. Tomahawk is also supporting our frontline healthcare workers by offering isolation gowns, gloves, masks, and other critical medical PPE. For more information, please visit tomahawksafety.com. Range Valuation Services. Range is the only oil and gas focused valuation and appraisal firm in the financial services industry. Range specializes in appraising and valuing oil field equipment, machinery, inventory and property and customarily works directly with clients, lenders, investment bankers, insurers and private equity and debt sponsors. For more information, please visit rangevaluationservices.com. Welcome to the Oilfield 360 podcast live from the Fletcher Azul Tequila Studio in Houston, Texas. My name is Josh Lauer. I'm one of the hosts. I am joined, uh, per the usual, by the co-host extraordinaire, Mr. David DeRote. How are you, David? Doing well. Good morning, Josh. Good morning to you. So this is two days in a row we're doing a 9 a.m. podcast. Yeah, how are you doing that? You have a hard time with the early mornings. I, I struggle. I struggle with these early. I don't have my caffeine My caffeine kind of uh, balanced at that point. My brain's not fully on. The gym is closed. I, I, I could come up with 100 excuses why this isn't going to be my best podcast ever, but I'm also a gamer, so it is going to be my my best podcast. Yes, absolutely. And absolutely. we have some great guests today, don't we? We do. I'm I'm very very proud to announce a good friend and and colleague, uh, Clay Williams, chairman, president, and CEO of National Oil Varco, or otherwise known as NOV. So, Clay, welcome this morning. Thank Thanks you, David. Thanks, here. Josh. Great to be here with you guys. Well, listen, it, it it's we we've been talking off air about how this whole thing started and. 
it is amazing that we are in a an oil filled focused podcast that is that has grown the way it's grown. The listenership has just I know surprised David and I, and the fact that we can with you know with respect and not trying to embarrass you get a Clay Williams to come on the show and join us in the studio is is a big deal for us. So. Um, we do appreciate you being with us. And well, you, you guys have done a great job and congratulations to Oilfield 360 and, and, uh, success you guys have tapped into. And, and, uh, right before we started, I apologize to Josh and David that if after this episode, your, your listenership plummets, I'll accept full responsibility. So. <laughs> no, listen, we'll take that. We, we, we're looking for someone to blame. So it's perfect. <laughs> you know, we had one of Glad our guests service, that so. came on, <laughs> yeah. um, and we put him on our best. We did a summary of 2019 and he was, we talked about him and he wrote us a little email saying, man, it's amazing how far we've come in just maybe 14, 15 months. And he said, and especially with the limitations of the hosts, you guys have done well. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> so well, anything operating out of the Fletcher Azul uh, uh, studio is bound for success, I'm sure. So uh, now we will take that. It is, yeah. uh, there's a guy named Aaron Marquez. He was yeah. one of our other guests. Yep. You might have listened I'll listen to, to that episode. He's, yeah, it's, yep. it's quite a story. It is. It is. And, and that's really kind of, again, back to our conversation of why does this podcast exist? The, the whole purpose of the podcast is to tell stories that don't get told and uh, about people and about products and companies. Now, look, NOV is huge. I mean, it is. It's been it's one of the leaders in our industry, but there's still how many tens of thousands of employees and tens of thousands of stories that will never be told within that organization. And I think that's what frustrates David and I is if you're on the ground floor like we are. And you are as well, that you don't the the average investor, whatever you want to call it, person on the street, when they think oil and gas, they don't put two and two together that that's their neighbor that runs the machine on West Little York that's in oil and gas. And we want to tell those stories. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And I'm you can't you tell oil and gas without an NOV. You no, can't tell that, that story. Well, thank you. And I've been unbelievably blessed to be a part of, of NOV. Uh oftentimes it just feels like lightning has struck in terms of uh when I look around at, at, uh, at who I get to work with every day, and uh, it's just a, just a wonderful blessing. But you're right. This is an industry that the three of us know is made up of terrific people who work hard, who get it done, and uh, um, get it done quietly and efficiently and professionally, and, and just so proud of everybody that's in this, in this business today. So Josh normally asks a question with every one of these, have you ever been on a podcast before? Is this your... This is my first external podcast. We do podcasts pretty routinely, actually, uh, inside NOV to communicate with our employees. I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have yeah. a good follower, follow, followership inside of NOV on that? I mean, is yeah, that we something? do. We do. I think we get good. Uh, I think our employees are always interested in kind of what's going on, and it's good to, a good way to connect with them. You know, we always, I mean, I, I remember running into one of my friends one time that ran a large business, and, and the concept of tens of thousands of employees, I couldn't, I just didn't comprehend. And I said, how do you run that many people? I mean, I, we run a small business, and uh, but how do you, how does somebody run a business of that size? Well, the short answer is I don't, Yeah. to be clear. We've got great leaders uh, throughout the organization and, and really what, where the work happens, um, we've got, we've got good line managers, great line managers who, who really make things go at, at NOV. That's where the value's added. So, so in a lot of ways, I think my job is just to take care of those folks make sure that they know that they're supported by uh, by me and our the, the senior team that I get to work with. How are you doing that right now during the, uh, well, the term that gets used is unprecedented times? Well, it clearly is unprecedented. I mean, our, our organization, our industry is going through things that we've never gone through before. Um, and it's, uh, 
uh, been very, very challenging and doubly tough because it's not just the condition of the oil field with recounts going down and customers spending less. Um, we also had COVID-19 pandemic shutdown issues to worry about. Folks have got kids at home um, and they're trying to work around their schedules. They may have um, family members who are vulnerable, family members that are sick. Um, they may have lost loved ones. And uh, and so it's it's really a pretty scary time, which make to me makes it doubly impressive how well uh, our, our, our team at NOV is, is holding up, how well our employees are holding up, how well they're executing mm-hmm. and able to put those challenges behind them and stay focused on taking care of our customers. And so just could not be more proud of, uh, of what's going on. In That's NOV encouraging. Today. Yeah. yeah. In that regard, I mean, it's, you're not only impacted by that here in the U.S., but all over the world because yeah. y'all, y'all are a global organization. Yeah, we got lots of places: Middle East, South America, um, uh, Asia, where we've got uh, businesses that have been shut down in some cases for months. Is the reaction of the governments in these other countries different than ours? And, and what I mean by that are there certain restrictions that those team members have that your North American team members don't? Yeah, yeah. In some cases, they're. Uh, I mean, I mean, all these governments, all these authorities, all of us around the world are sort of improvising as we go along, and so. Depending on the severity of the pandemic, the response has been been different uh, region by region. Yeah, That's I just hope uh, I just hope it's over soon. Yeah, we all we all do. Yeah, I can't believe we're we're basically staring August in the face, and uh, it just seems like it was first well of the year. One of the one of the memes that we joked about that was funny was the one that came around that said, "Man, April was a tough year." <laughs> you know, yeah, you look back sure. at April after, you know, March 11th, 12th, I think is the date that that, that the world kind of that basketball shut down, that everybody started to really get nervous. Yeah. And then yeah. by the end of April, that was six weeks. Of, yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden, what are we in? Tomorrow is or this week is August. Yeah. I thought surely by now this would be behind us. Look, a day at a time. I know we're going to get there. I know we're all going to survive it and get through it and um, and, and, and working hard to. to so, so. Uh, but I do appreciate everybody, uh, the, the medical community, the researchers um, uh, that are working on a, on a vaccine and working hard to take care of those that are affected by it. And certainly our, our, our thoughts and prayers are with those families that have lost loved ones. Before we get too deep into kind of where we want to go, I always like to also kind of start giving kind of a, a background bio on, on who we're speaking about. So you're a native Texan. Will you tell us a little bit about... Uh, where you're from specifically? Sure, and, I am. I am and, a native Texan. I, I was uh, born and grew up in Katy, and um, uh, which actually, believe it or not, I know it's a gigantic uh, suburb now of Houston. But when I was a kid, it was actually a, a small town. Right. And um, uh, my father was the the first, and for a long time, the only dentist in Katy. And uh, he actually grew up in uh, in the oil patch. He grew up in the Humble Camp in Tomball, Texas. My grandfather. Okay. Came back from France in World War One and went to work for Humble Oil Company in West Columbia, and then later moved to Tomball. And uh, and by the way, probably many of the listeners, but maybe not all the listeners, know that Humble Oil was a predecessor to Exxon Mobil today. And in a lot of little towns um, throughout East Texas and elsewhere, uh, there's there when when Humble Oil Company would move into a region to develop a field, they would build housing, they would build a company store, they would sort of build a little town on the outskirts of, uh, of, uh, of where they were, the communities they were moving into to house their workers. And so Katie had a, had an humble camp, Tomball had an humble camp, West Columbia had an, had an humble camp. So, so uh, a little bit of, a little bit of oil field in my, in my blood. My, my dad uh, worked 
he, he roused about it. He roughnecked uh, his way through dental school. But by that point, he still had all 10 uh, fingers and uh, <laughs> decided he'd like to keep it that way. So um, he and my mom um, moved Katie and said, he set up practice there. Okay. World needs dentists. I'm glad. Absolutely. You know, I, I, when you're talking about that, I wonder what Katie looked like growing up compared because it is massive now. And if yeah. you, I've, I, we have a guy that works with us. If you drop a pin at 99 and 10 and you have a 200 mile radius, there's 15 million people in that 200 mile radius. Wow. Which yeah. is unbelievable yeah. how many people that really is. Yeah. I think Katie had 1,500 people when I was, when I was born. And uh, uh, so, um, Grew up in Katy, was a, uh, you know, Katy Elementary, Katy Junior High, Katy, uh, fighting Katy High School Tiger. That's right. And uh, went away, uh, pretty far away for the time uh, to go to college. So I went to the East Coast, went to Princeton and uh, joined the oil field after I, after I graduated. Sure. Yeah, I, I remember growing up as a kid here in Houston and the Katy I remembered was agriculture. Yeah, like, rice farming. Yeah, rice farming, and goose yeah. hunting. Ducks and geese flying all over the place. Yep. Unfortunately, it's not that way. Did you ever get to sneak out? And I know that's that's a Plenty love of times. you and I both. In fact, have. I got caught sneaking onto Cinco Ranch back when Cinco Ranch was actually a ranch yeah. uh, <laughs> with my little single shot four ten shotgun. And um, uh, but but yeah, it was very different back then. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. I, I think you know. I think we first met through uh, my former uh, colleague, Seas uh, business partner Jim yep. Mack William, yep. who was. For all intents and purposes, Mr. Princeton, and yes. uh, he was always very proud of you, and 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 uh, very proud of Princeton. A lot of a lot of great great people have come out of that school. Jim was University. a wonderful person. He interviewed me uh, as a senior in, in high school for the interview process, and so that's when I first met met Jim, and uh, and he was just as we both know, a wonderful man and a and a and a very good friend of yours. You know. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You said you left school and into the oil field. Yeah. How, how, how did that happen? So, uh, through school, I, so I, I went to Princeton with the intention of becoming a chemical engineer. And one of the revelations I had in college is that I'm not nearly smart enough to be a chemical engineer. So my sophomore year, I took, uh, geology, uh, rocks for jocks and so really kind of fell in love with it and pivoted to rather than chemical engineering and, um, and flunking out of school, I decided I would try to make a go of it and nice became, pivot. A, became a geological engineer. Princeton is one of the few schools, South Dakota School of Mines, University of Missouri, Rolla, a couple others, uh, that offer a geological engineering degree. And it turns out Shell Oil Company likes that degree. It's a combination of engineering and geology. And this was uh, 1985, spring of 1985, I graduated. And uh, I think I was probably one of the last employees that uh, got hired because I joined Shell in uh, in their Alaska group. And uh, that summer of 85, and then by February of 86, uh, the, the, the price war effectively broke out in the oil patch. And Saudi Arabia unleashed about six or seven million barrels of oil a day onto the market and uh, the industry industry crashed, not dissimilar from what we just went through. And, uh, um, but that's, you know, in a lot of ways, my career in the oil patch started along with a big, sharp downturn. Right. And, uh, and in hindsight, as painful as that was, and as difficult as it was, wouldn't trade it for anything. So as I'm kind of passing through this right now and, and, and trying to help NOV get through it, having been through big, significant, you know, hard, painful downturns in the past. That's uh, the best way I've heard it termed is as I'm passing through this. You know, we, it, it does yeah. feel like we're passing, if you have perspective. It does. And one of the perspectives I gained is it does pass, right? So I know on the backside of this, David. 
on the backside <laughs> of this thing, prosperity is going to return. And uh, we just got to make it to the other side. And, um, and it will pass and things change. And if you look at the history of the industry, it's always been a cyclical business. The only exception to that was, uh, was the stability in oil prices that brought about by the Texas Railroad Commission from the 1930s up through 1973, when kind of the U.S. no longer was the swing producer. But, but uh, you know, apart from those um, 40 years or so, the industry has a, has a long history of deep cyclicality. And I think in a lot of ways, we're just experiencing that right now. I agree. I think that one of the negatives is that we lose. I think there's young talent that yeah. just has been had a rough decade. Yeah. Because yeah. it's been, it felt like, uh, you know, 2008, 12, 14, you know, 16, 17. Right. It's been a rough decade. Right. Yep. Yep. And uh, and what I counsel young people at NOV and elsewhere in the industry is is to stay with it. And another big revelation in my kind of career and development, I went back to business school. I, I decided in 1992, enough's enough. Seven years of much like we are experiencing today. And I, and I decided to go back and get an MBA, went, went to the University of Texas. And my revelation in grad school was that business is tough everywhere. You know, I was going to go to grad school, get an MBA and go into something easy, right? You know, computers or, you know, <laughs> something where it just wasn't so hard. But, but what I learned is business is hard everywhere. Yep. One and two, every nobody's career does nothing but go up and to the right. And frankly, while it's going up and to the right and you're only meeting with success, you're not really growing. You're not really learning. It's it's the challenges that you navigate, it's the failures, it's the it's the really hard times in your career that really make you. This is going on right now today and has been going on through the past several years as we are collectively passing through this down cycle. We're all getting better. We're getting to be better business people, better managers, better leaders. And so you got to look at this time for what it is. It's a time that's going to make you and make you better and make you a better leader. And so stay with it. Can we start calling this, instead of unprecedented times, can we start calling this the pass-through? I'm, and I'm serious. Like this is, I think this, that's a great idea because that is what is going to happen. This audience, this is 80 countries. I mean, yeah. 25,000 people are going to download this episode. I mean, it's... Well, I'll add to that too. I think once we get to the other side, I think the the rebound can be extraordinary. Uh, I've never seen. I'm not aware of the, the the circumstances we have today in the oil patch. You said earlier unprecedented, and um, Jamie Dimon. I saw a quote recently where he said that's an overused word, but it absolutely applies today, and it certainly applies in the oil patch. We've never had a twenty or twenty five percent almost immediate decline in demand. And so suddenly the world is producing tens of millions of barrels a day more than it needs. So we're filling up storage faster than we ever have. I've heard estimates of excess storage exceeding a billion barrels, as much as a billion and a half barrels a day. Well, you know, you think about excess storage in that range. If you if you flow that out uh, over, over the course of a year levelly, that's around 3 million barrels a day. That's a lot of oil to flow back into the marketplace. So, so one day all that, that oil is going to flow back. At the same time, you got demand that remains very depressed, but it's going to bounce back. People are going to get back to flying and doing what they do. So demand's going to rise. Supply's clearly going down. Though those of us working in the industry know that. Uh, producers aren't, aren't spending what they uh, would normally spend. They're not drilling. They're not completing wells. Um, they've, they've slowed way down. They've even shut in production in a lot of places. You got big decline curves, bigger than we've had before, because you know five percent of the global supply is coming from shales, and so so supply's going down, demand's coming up. And my point is, it's I think 
possible. It's very possible that that supply demand, uh, where demand is exceeding supply, is going to be masked, and it's going to be masked for perhaps months because of this inventory overhang. So when it suddenly dawns on the world, hey, we're undersupplied, and we're meaningfully undersupplied, and oh my gosh, we got to we got to fix this. They're going to turn to oil field services that has spent the last you know year or two or three effectively dismantling the machine that constructs well bores. That's an enormous challenge that we're all headed towards and a lot of prosperity and a lot of uh, opportunity to show what we're made of. So I, I think we may be headed for the biggest inflection point we've ever seen in this in this space. This is the with a caveat. Pl- with a caveat, I'm terrible at forecasting the future. Yeah, and, and that's fair. And, and a wild-eyed optimist, so I'll, I'll, I'll uh, feel like well, I've got to disclose that. No, no, no. That's the only part of the entire podcast we're going to loop. Just, <laughs> just loop that one through, and it'll be an hour and a half of you saying that. We'll be done. <laughs> well, I'm. I do think we're in better days are ahead. They, they always had. They always have been in this space, and uh, this this downturn's no exception. But that being said, I, there there are a lot of folks that think that you know alternative energy sources are are ultimately going to displace oil and gas as we know it. What are your What are your thoughts on that? that, that I, you can I share? think I think eventually they will. I think people not in energy probably underscope the, the just the magnitude of the energy infrastructure. Energy really is all about capital and infrastructure and investment. And and you know you look back at history. Um, the the 18th century was a biofuel century. The 19th century was a coal century. The 20th century was the oil century. The 21st century will be something else, and it'll be a lower carbon footprint century. But the fact that it, we're talking in terms of centuries pivot from one source of energy to another is because um, of the massive um, uh, task of replacing the installed base of, of capital that's out there. We, we uh, just did our, our earnings call, and I kind of ran through this with, with some of the folks on the call, but bears repeating, you know, you, you look at automobiles worldwide, I don't know how many tens, probably hundreds of millions of vehicles. Uh, I've never looked it up, but there's a bunch of them out there. And you know, 99 point something percent of those run on products from the oil and gas industry. Then you look at aircraft, right? No aircraft leaves the ground without products from the oil and gas industry. Passenger planes, cargo planes, military planes. You look at construction equipment, at bulldozers and track hoes and, you know, the stuff that builds buildings and the stuff that maintains our roads. It all runs on products from the oil and gas industry. You look at the agricultural infrastructure that feeds Seven billion people on the planet, tractors and combines, they all run on products that come from the oil and gas industry. You look at how freight is moved around the globe, vessels plying the oceans, locomotives, tractor trailer rigs that are, that are bringing my wife all her Amazon packages. Um, <laughs> you know, how many tens of trillions of dollars of investment in all of that machinery that does not move one inch without what our industry makes? Turning all night on a dime to go to what's next is, you know, it'll happen, but I think it's, this is a generational kind of kind of change. And and um, and actually at NOV, we're trying to help be a part of that. It's it, so, my exact point. I mean, that's the problem with what I think the oil field has done wrong is we want all those things. Yeah. We, we want energy transition. Yeah. And, you know, David, I think, does a really good point of pointing out that, look, part of the ESG is the environment. I mean, we like we yeah, want exactly. to be exactly. a part of this. And yeah. NOV is the type of company that can actually lead 
that change. I think so. I could not agree more. I think the skill set that we have in oil field services and in NLV really will play an important role. So it's big, it's big projects, it's big, it's construction, it's applying new technology, it's uh, helping our customers uh, um, uh, invest in in that next big thing. And we're doing things in wind, we're doing things in geothermal. Uh, we've got some other um, longer term sort of investments that we're making at NOV as well. Because look, it's the business plan of the 21st century, right? You step back and say, all right, what's, you know, somebody hits it big uh, in the 21st century around this energy transition. What's the value of that company? You know, it's enormous. So this is something we, we a few years ago, really rolled up our sleeves and said, I, I think we have a lot to add here. Let's, let's see what we can do. And I'm actually encouraged too that so many traditional oil companies uh, are are actively investing in uh, renewables and, and alternative. It, it's the myth of our industry. I, I think that we don't yeah. care about. No, that's absolutely yeah. true. No, no, we we get it. We get it. And actually, too, I when I was in high school, I was a high school debater, and in, I think it was 1980, the UIL debate topic was around transitioning. Um, this is on the heels of the second energy crisis of the 70s, and the high school debate topic was that resolved that the United States should become energy independent. And so um, at a very early age, I kind of got immersed in in uh, not just oil and gas, but we learned a lot about coal, about biomass, about solar, about wind, about about nuclear, about all, all forms of energy. So so th- in a very low level throughout my entire adult life, I've always had a bit of an academic interest in this area. I tell people we're toast if we ever come up with portable coal fusion, but do you think the next energy uh, technology is is here because I I personally don't know solar and wind all that stuff is yeah. very helpful and it's already being you know worked into the into the uh, into the mix yeah into the mix yeah and and a lot of folks a lot of your peers talked to you about this in the past mm-hmm. you know are they concerned and, and they they all agree no we welcome it because the world's demand albeit somewhat masked with misinformation and other market dynamics is increasing because, you know, large part of the world is still asleep and large part of the world is still burning dung and coal. That's right. There's a lot of energy poverty that's still out there. Well, it goes to that book, The the Moral Case of Fossil. Yeah, you've read that. Yes, absolutely. You know, one of the hashtags I I, I put on all this that Josh has taught me about all this stuff (laughs) is oil and gas. He's social media shaming me there, Clay. (laughs) (laughs) Oil and gas making modern life possible. And as you were talking about the consumption of oil and gas, I think what people have not realized or appreciate is how they have wrapped themselves up in the fossil fuels industry. I mean, I would would dare to say probably 90% of everything we do or greater is, 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 you know, whether it's our clothes, yeah. pharmaceuticals, the cell phone. And, and, and the other interesting thing is I think people don't recognize, and I think Josh was making this point earlier, is that the energy industry as a whole, I think, recognizes that oil and gas is a finite resource. Yes. We will eventually run out of that resource. Yeah. Because it takes lots of years and pressure and time to to, yeah. to make it. I don't know that the great transition is is going to happen with the technology that we have just yet. So I'm I'm I yeah we have stuck with oil and gas for yeah I agree with you. we hadn't found the perfect substitute yet because every you know solar is great but it has this problem called night uh, you know wind is great but the wind stops blowing so this intermittency <laughs> problem that you have with alternative sources of energy they, and by the way all, all these um, having having very intentionally 
focused on these areas over the past few years um, and, and really trying to stay closely abreast of what's going on here. A lot of these renewables have dramatically reduced what they call the levelized cost of energy. So they become much more competitive, but they're sort of practical limitations on uh, in some of these areas and many of these areas. So we haven't yet found the perfect substitute, sure. um, but I'm confident mankind will. I think our industry will play a role in that. I agree. And I think it's a great opportunity for our industry. But before that day comes, I think it's worth saying that I'm really proud of what we've done so far. I'm proud to be in this yeah. industry. We have made lives better through through plastics, through better sanitation, through through, I mean, there's just so many ways. In fact, I I would submit, I don't think there's ever been an industry in the history of mankind that's done more to lift people out of out of poverty and to and to improve their standard of living yes. than ours. You cannot feed the you tell me how you feed the planet without diesel powered tractors and combines, right? Yeah. So there's there is a moral case to pivot to a lower carbon form of energy, but there's also a moral case to feed this planet. There's a moral case to continue to provide you know, safe and efficient transportation yeah. on demand. And and I'm proud of what we do. And by the way, you're not going to hear that message on CNN or the, or the New York Times. And so I think it's, I think it, this, I think, hopefully I think, this gets uh, out through this podcast. It, well, it, Epstein's it, it, book. Be, is, be is proud a, of, people in this industry, be proud of what you do. Agreed. I totally agree. And it's, it's, it's really unfortunate that, um, that people don't fully understand and appreciate that. When you think about the people that you have working at NOV, the people that work for some of these other other companies, what the industry has done. Leslie Byers is, is, you know, shouting this to the rooftops that the energy industry is traditionally the oil and gas industry is who is going to drive this transition. There's nobody better to do it. I want to pit the book that that I that you and I are kind of behind the scenes referring yep. to is the moral case for fossil fuel, which is by a guy named Alex Epstein. So I'm giving yeah. we're giving a quick plug on the on the show here. Alex yeah. is supposed to come on. Well, he will. Honestly, if oh, tra- if COVID yeah. hadn't happened, he would have already been here. In fact, I got an email about him yesterday. But um, if you haven't read this book, go read this book. And really, what Mr. Williams is talking about here, and I I went super formal on you there. What Clay is talking Clay, about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> call me Mr. Lowry. We'll be. Is saying. my dad here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it what what Clay's talking about is. It's very easy for us in our very comfortable air conditioned lives, yeah. in our, you know, quiet cars to say we need to do away with certain things. And the premise of that book, part of the premise is, you know, that's because you're not hungry. Right. That's because you yeah. have clean water. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of people in, in all parts of the world that would love clean water, not have to spend four hours a day gathering wood to burn for, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So right. Right. there is a moral case. So we'll, we'll pivot from this point, but it is very yeah. important that people yeah. understand that you know, almost like what Wesley Hunt, we had a guest yesterday mm-hmm. and he's like, sometimes you just got to get out of your comfort zone and see what you, what's out there to understand what you have. Right, so, right, right. Um, now listen, I have been doing business with uh, national and the national oil well, mm-hmm. and then NOV for my entire career. And the most intimidating place to ever go to when I was a kid or a kid, 23, 22 was the NOV, the, the NOV spot on 529. Just, oh yeah, yeah. That was yeah. The, that was like it was huge. It was terrifying. Everybody was smart. Josh, the people out there are just so very nice. I can't believe you say that. <laughs> well, they're just smart <laughs> when you're twenty. They are years smart. Old. Yes, they're very smart. Yeah. And it was a big building. It was a very active location. Yeah. And I just remember, and you had to walk down. It was every time I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to say something stupid. And we we ended up, you know, becoming partners and friends with that group. And you're right. Once you're familiar, with, we appreciate appreciate your support. Well, and that's kind of my my point to this comment is. You've been with NOV for uh, since fourteen, uh, or in your no cur- no yeah since your uh, current nine, role. I apologize. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, your yeah. current role. But how long before that had you been with the I group? Joined a, I joined a predecessor company called Drexel Oilfield Services in 1990, late 95. Oh, so your your entire post-MBA uh, world has been with within the NOV? Mostly. I started with uh, a private equity firm called SEF Partners. Okay. And uh, uh, after a couple of years with the SEF group, joined one of their portfolio companies uh, called Drexel Oilfield Services that ultimately got merged up into NOV. Well, and that's that was where I was going. So I, I, this is even better than I thought because I, I remember, you know, National, National Well, NOV, and, yeah. I, and it just kind of exploded from like, let's call it 99 to 2000, maybe eight. Yep. And yeah. so you were there for a lot of that growth. Oh yeah. No, it's been a wonderful company and um but but it's a it's really a fantastic team. Mm-hmm. And I'm just I think I said it earlier, I'm so blessed to be a part of it and have been a part of it. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're right back to the show. Prang and Associates, the global energy search leader. Prang and Associates is the world's leading executive search firm totally dedicated to the energy industry. Over our 39 years, we have assisted more than 750 management teams and boards in 75 countries and conducted nearly 3,600 engagements. For more information, please visit prang.com. Daniel Energy Partners, in-basin research you can trust a leading provider of U.S. oil field research known for its original boots-on-the-ground research approach, as well as its famous barbecue events. Daniel Energy Partners utilizes both its extensive network of top oil field professionals and frequent in-basin field tours to provide real-time market intelligence. Visit DanielEP.com for more information. Galtway Marketing. Answer this question. What makes your company different? You have seven seconds to catch a customer's attention. Galtway Marketing can build your brand and craft your message for maximum impact across all your marketing efforts. Visit galtwaymarketing.com slash O360 to bring your company into the 21st century. Thank you to our sponsors. And now back to the show. Well, what was that like in that, that call it early 2000s, or maybe even when you can yeah. tell me when the growth was just exponential. It was. The, you know, the 90s were a lot like today in terms of um, not much capital in oil field services, um, fragmented industry. And so, I, 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 as I said, joined through a private equity firm focused on on uh, uh, corporate acquisitions and driving some consolidation and a little better sort of a position to get to a better place of, of financial returns. So our company, uh, Drexel, that I started with had, had two product lines, Solids Control, uh, the brand product line, um, and then hydro-rig cool tubing units. Um, and we merged with a public company called Tubiscope, which is a provider of tubular inspection and coating services. And then uh, and then in 2000, Tubiscope merged with Varco. And then in 2005, Varco merged with, with National Oil Well. So that's kind of my, my cor- okay. corporate path. But, you know, from a thousand employees or less with uh, Drexel in 1995 to today, it's been been quite a ride. And again, I'm just continue to be amazed at my good fortune and good luck to work with the people that I have worked with and uh, uh, and the company that uh, that I'm blessed to be a part of today. Well, you know, this I am going to compliment your uh, teammates all the way down again, just from a ground level, from whether it be Louisiana, Houston. I mean, you you pick it right. It's hard to pick a city where NOV doesn't have a location. And, you know, we work with everybody. Um, and it's it's interesting. NOV always seemed to be a group of problem solvers. Yeah. M- more so well, than, than others. Well, thank you. 
But I would say this entire industry is an industry. I agree with that problems too. are. So earlier we were talking about the energy transition, why I'm so confident we're going to play an important role in that is that I've, I've never, the smartest people I've ever met have been in the oil field. The most practical people I've ever met have been in the oil field. I joined Shell Oil Company, I mentioned coming out of college and joined the Sweepy Alaska group. And I remember as a college senior being so intrigued because Shell back in the early 80s was drilling off in the Beaufort Sea uh, off of the North Slope and would find prospects that were you know, 50 miles out in the Beaufort Sea. Uh, and, and you know, God didn't happen to put an island there. So we would build a gravel or Shell would build a gravel island. And I thought, okay, that's one way to tackle that problem. And, and so uh, we, we were drilling on a couple of, of gravel islands and to access the islands. Um, as the ocean would start to freeze up, they'd drill holes in the ice and, and basically create an ice road that would go out there to access the island, to skid a rig onto it and to, to drill a wildcat. Well, and I just remember at you know twenty two years old thinking, how cool is that? That's 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 some pretty amazing stuff and and technology and practical people that get it done. And so uh, no, it's a it's a you know above all part of the reason I'm still here. Yeah, through all the thick and thin and the cycles is is we do really really neat stuff. We apply technology and we solve problems and, and, and in a practical way. And and uh, and those of us that are here still standing in 2020 are here because we love it. Well, in the oilfield service world, is it's unique to, you know, an E&P company or midstream. I mean, you, we really have to be the Swiss Army knife of, of, of our industry. Right. Yeah. Right. Very much so. Very much so. So uh, it's a fun place to work. What, on that note, I mean, what is a, what is a product or a, a service that you guys have come up with in the last – 10 years that you think, man, we really revolutionized something. Oh, gosh. Uh, a lot going on, on the digital front. Mm -hmm. So multiple products. So 2016, we launched uh, predictive analytics that could identify uh, SPM valve failures and subsea BOPs two weeks before they happen. So the valve will continue to function well, but we could say, hey, in advance of this event actually occurring, we can see it. And so we offered, launched a commercial product in predictive analytics called Rig Century. And we've since expanded that to other potential failure modes in subsea BOPs as well as uh, 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 rig uh, equipment. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff in the queue. So so like everyone else, we've been downsizing through the downturn, but we've also been investing. And so um, in October, we're scheduled to put a new digital uh, data platform into the field for beta testing that I'm really excited about. Uh, we launched a new rig operating system that uh, is really making good traction with oil companies. And it's the foundation for uh, another level of automating uh, drilling processes on land. And so we're going to have some commercial products uh, that will come out, uh, uh, if not this year, uh, next year, sometime that I think will bring a whole new level of automation, which automation in our space equals efficiency and safety, which we're all after. Right. So uh, excited about that. So there's a whole host of things going on at NOV. You used to have that, that the digital uh, control room. In the yeah in the lobby, do you have something like that in the the new tower? We do. It's all been sort of shrunken down, and you know can be uh, uh, done um, in, in a more mobile fashion. But but yeah, the level of automation and the level of optimization has um, uh, continued to grow and improve. And there's just, I mean, I mean, in, in fact, you know, sometimes this industry gets critical gets criticized for for not being conversant enough in the digital space. And I hear you probably, guys probably do too, that we're behind. And I really reject that. I, I think <laughs> I think this was the original big data industry. You know, in the 70s 
in the 80s, most of this, the Cray supercomputers were built to process geophysical data sets, which were massive for the time. They require new levels of processing and storage and, and so forth. And so I, I think we were an early adopter. I, my first job at Shell was in petrophysical engineering, which means uh, collecting data sets from, from individual wells, among other things, through logging jobs. And so so getting you know LIS tapes from from the providers of the open hole logs and, and, and matching that with the mud logging data and the drill breaks and all the stuff on the electronic drill recorders and kind of, kind of figuring out what do we have in this well was kind of the first thing I worked on. And that's very data intensive. And you learn in that process that, that uh, you know, depth matching data, making sure it's in the right protocols, the right format so that you can actually derive uh, actionable uh, uh, insights out of that data is, is not trivial. And so and I think a lot of ways our industry is actually more mature when it comes to big data. We've learned that clean data is important. All right. That garbage in, garbage out is a real problem. And um, that data security, that data formatting, that storage and so forth. Um, well, actionable data is, is what we can do something with. The, like the two-week, that's a great piece of <clears throat> information for people to understand. Absolutely. That. That's a they life can, saved. It absolutely is. Yes. They can help. They can better plan their operations In around case that. Scenario, it's obviously. an environmental yeah. disaster. It's, it's, it's a hundred different yeah. things. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, we can predict that. Yeah. Get in front of it. Yeah. It's been really That's fascinating. Cool. Yeah. You know, we had uh, Dirk Lee on uh, the podcast and of course they, you know, you're in the capital equipment business among other things and people don't like to refer to beautiful equipment as dumb iron, but it's been interesting watching the dumb iron uh, become uh, very educated, uh, literally, I'd say overnight in some regards. Yeah. And, and how that is helping, to your point, drive efficiency. It's also been able to help teach those people who are still in the field that are still required how to become better at what they're doing and perform more safely, which I think, yeah, you know, their job's more safely, which I think is pretty impressive. It is. Yeah. It gets a lot smarter stuff. Another, another product we're coming out with. It has to do with using optical technologies to identify people oh, yeah. who may inadvertently wander into the red zone near Well Center where, you know, keeping people out of the way, slowing machines or stopping machines when people are getting near them, uh, uh, you know, I think can offer a big leap forward in terms of safety and efficiency. So there's just this this really is getting back back to my point. I think this industry um, is actually really smart about data. I mean, we've got a ways to go like everyone else. Sure. And the truth is that the boundaries of the opportunity continue, continue to expand with cloud storage, which is, you know, becoming very, very cheap with processing speeds with all these things. And I, and I think it's incumbent on all of us to stay up to speed on what can, can digitalization bring to our industry. But, but it's also tempered by the fact that we've been in the big data business, you know, going back at least a generation uh, if not more, and recognize that sometimes digital utopia that we've been promised is not all it's cracked up to be, and there's practical consideration when it comes to but, you know. But it's out in the field. it's it's interesting though. You say that 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 we've been at it for for quite a while. I think I think that's a true statement. I mean, I look at back at my own experiences and some of the stuff I was doing in grad school at UT when I thought I was going to go be a doctor and was messing around with all sorts of emerging medical technologies, telemedicine, all this kind of stuff. We were putting Da Vinci surgical arms I can't arms imagine you as a doctor, David. <laughs> I'm just teasing. No, no, no. You've been no, a great no, doctor. No, <laughs> no I, I think I made the right choice. Uh, I hate to say that, though, but um, but I, I look at the technologies that we were messing with, yeah. you know, almost 20 years ago now that have 
still not that still have great application that mm-hmm. still have not been implemented in and I think you know there's a there's a reluctancy to change but I think what ultimately drives that change unfortunately is is <laughs> that pressure to perform mm-hmm. um and and ultimately drive drive efficiency which is what we're seeing in our business which has been really fascinating to see what you and other groups have have developed and will continue to develop um, to to improve the business overall. Yeah, the dirty little secret of the oil field is it's way more high tech than we get credit for. Well, that's what I was just going to ask you on that note that David was talking about. It, there's got to be other companies that you look EMP. I mean, just as an industry, as a as a company that you see out there, you're like that that group is doing something that we like or that's good for the greater good. Is there anything out there that you could point to that or an industry organization? That or something that you see that we need to do more of. Yeah, uh, I do. I do think I, I said this earlier, but probably worth reiterating. I do think we need to stay abreast of changes in artificial intelligence and in uh, processing speeds, those those sorts of things, to make sure that we're applying those those solutions practically. Um, and there's a lot of good work going on, not just at NOV, but across across the space with the big three. Well, and well, like, you're you're the type of yeah. company that's going to get attention from Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And I mean, are how willing to work with you? I mean, we all, everyone kind of read the article about Google uh, not wanting to, to right. help. But I yeah. mean, do you, I'm, I'm assuming that you guys are seeing a lot of encouraging um, willingness to participate with Silicon Valley into this. Is, am we're, I, we're, our approach is probably just a little more try to bring the skill set into NOV and develop these things more quietly rather than. Um, do something and put out a press release and you know hope for the best. So we're 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 we have a great team of fantastic data scientists and programmers working closely together to develop products and launch products, and we have a really good track record in that area. But it's it's probably a little more quiet, well, and a little more homegrown. That's what I'm wanting. So yeah. you're telling me that. So we we by the way we do we do go to Silicon Valley. We do interact with that that community uh, from time to time. I've spent time out there. To see what's happening in in all these emerging areas, and it's exciting. But it's it's uh, I'd say our, our first inclination, and if if we can if we can develop something internally that's oil field, and frequently oil field is different than the rest of the world, as we all sort of know, that that's the that's the path that we're gonna that that we're gonna take. So I would think then over this last ten year period, you've you've seen your digital department. I don't know exactly yeah. what you call it. I, yeah. IT. I mean, what do you? How it's, does that? Get it's cost? grown a lot. So we has it, yeah. it has. Um, um, but but we're still organized in small focused teams that that uh, have a high level of passion to get products that work and are out the door and that are going to make it in the oil field. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, but you know I touched on a couple. I'd also throw in our our um, IntelliServe wire drill pipe um, uh, high speed data transmission from the bottom of the hole capability, which we invested in um, through our acquisition of Grant Prideco um, about uh, about ten years ago or so, and have have cultivated that to now be a, a real live service that's pulling its own weight. That's um, uh, uh, you know making making uh, excellent profits and is in high demand in the North Sea, for instance. And so that's another sort of way we're we're harnessing digital. But but it's a it's a it's a customer need by customer need uh, process as opposed to a you know we're going to create some digital utopia that's going to be yeah. the end all be all. Uh, we really, if we're not solving a customer, that's another way that oil field's practical is, it, is, it, is the oil companies aren't going to buy it if it doesn't fix a problem, right? If it doesn't bring value to their operations, um, they don't take a flyer on it. 
Well, you know, I, we talked earlier, it, and the the cool part about this podcast is, you know, I've met you a couple times, handful of times, and it's you've always been very pleasant. And but you're you're, you're a busy guy. You always you have a a team or things going on around you at all times. I would imagine so. Getting this time with you is is a pleasure. We appreciate it. There's a lot of people out there that aren't going to get this moment with you, right? And which is, I mean, understandable. Uh, he doesn't have a LinkedIn page. I want to get to the point where I can just shut down my LinkedIn page. This is this is my goal. Is to where it's hard to get a hold of me. But um, you know, that being said, like where uh, where do you? How do you invest in your people? How do you invest your time in in, in younger people or in an industry where you're busy? And I know that, you know, part of your role, I would imagine, well, I know is, yeah. is to lead. And how do you do that? How do you make time for that? Uh, I spend a lot of time on airplanes okay. uh, <laughs> back when. And so this is why it's so weird this summer not being able to fly. But, but um, you know, making the rounds, seeing our, our teams, telling them thank you, telling them we appreciate them, we respect them is critically important. Um, giving them opportunities, giving them a lot of authority and responsibility. Um, you know, one, <clears throat> one sort of management um, principle that I firmly believe in is that decisions should be made as close to the coal face as possible, which as a in a practical way means pushing down authority um, and responsibility. Those two go hand in hand as deeply as we can. So we're organized. We're NOV compared to other of our peers in, in oil field services, I think, is very um, uh, decentralized. Definitely. Tends to operate in small focused teams because I'm a big believer that a small focused, passionate team will crush a big ballooning bureaucracy with lots of layers uh, every day of the week. Let me so give, let me give a real world that. example to that. And, yeah. and from a supply chain standpoint, you know, during the acquisition period and the growth period, it, there wasn't a ton of, all right, we've been purchased by NOV in Houston. Now we're going to do what they do. It was, no, we're going to operate as we do. Yeah. We're going to be able to make decisions here on the ground. That that never really yeah. changed when other acquisitions were made. It, you know, it was kind of assimilate yeah. or else type deal. Yeah. Well, and, and to be fair, Josh, and thank you, I think that's mostly the case, but there are some, when you join a big public company, there are some non-negotiables, so sure. we try to be really clear <laughs> on that. Yeah, front. exactly. That's but fair. to your point, the basic, where the decision is made in the organization, um, look, the, the people on the front lines are a lot smarter than I am, and they they're, they have access to the real-time data, and they're great business people, and so, so I, in a lot of ways, I view my role, and I think our senior team views their role. As supporting those folks, as 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 you know, providing them the resources, um, um, you know, making sure that they feel authorized to do the right thing, and uh, but also holding them accountable, right? So I said earlier, responsibility goes with that authority. The responsibility is they're all managing, as I am too, our shareholders' capital. They got to be making the right decisions around that, and um, and so, but that's a really good. I think that cr creates a really good environment, a good culture, and so. Uh, getting back to your earlier question, how do we develop young people? It's, is is you know we try to throw them into the deep end of the pool, and and uh, and learn, uh, and and look, we all make mistakes. I make mistakes more than I care to admit. We're all works in process, and so that's that's to be natural. But but to support those folks to help kind of them to become better leaders by actually leading. I mean, there's really no substitute. The best preparation for leadership is leadership is leading, and so. Uh, Given that opportunity, I think is what uh, what my responsibility is to them. Are there any books that you recommend people read? I mean, is there? Th are you? A I'm not a big self help book. Yeah, I, I, I like to read a lot, but sure. I, uh, my first love is history, and um, I would tell you one of the 
personally, one of the more formative experiences that I had, this may surprise you a little bit, but in terms of leadership, um, was participating in Boy Scouts as a, as a young man. And so, uh, you know, I was a Cub Scout and then at 11 years old became a Boy Scout and at, at 15, 16, 17, drifted away from it like most, like a lot of boys do. And, and never really thought much about it until my own son became a Cub Scout and then later a Boy Scout. And, and I served uh, for a brief time as assistant scoutmaster to his troop, went to assistant scoutmaster training. But I look back on, on I learned this explicitly when I was going through this training. And upon reflection, it's absolutely true. But Boy Scouts, in a lot of ways, is a gigantic leadership laboratory. You take young men and now women as well, and you thrust them into peer positions of responsibility as assistant patrol leader, as, as a patrol leader, as quartermaster, as senior patrol leader. And so, you know, over a few years, you're sort of thrown as a, you know, 13-year-old in charge of some 11-year-olds and told to figure it out. And what I was told, which is which really stuck with me, by is the scouting way. And scouting's been doing this for over 100 years, so they, they know, you know, young, young men uh, pretty well. Is that a is a boy led troop uh, looks like it's bordering on chaos, and that good adult leadership is actually just good adult monitoring. You let the boys fail, right, or you let the girls fail. So they're in a new position of of leadership responsibility, and you know, getting a bunch of eleven uh, year olds that really just want to you know horseplay and yeah. and fight and you know getting them to do something um, means you're gonna you're gonna try a few things that may or may not work. And and so when I reflected on my own scouting experience, I realized, you know, I didn't. I've learned a lot going through that, and um, and helped make me what I am today. I was wanting to touch on that a little bit. I know I think you're chair of of the board for the Sam Houston Area Council chapter of Boy Scouts of America. Um, I was joking with some some friends of mine the other day. I felt like um, I had my my interaction with with uh, Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts and I, uh, my father was an Eagle Scout, so I never, never made the Eagle had some health issues back in the time they interfered and just kind of walked away from it. But I've always been impressed with those individuals who have gone through the process, have gotten their Eagle. There's a lot of consistent traits that, uh, that are exhibited there, but I've talked with folks about almost creating an adult Scouts, uh, organization, because I think there's some people that have missed it. Probably there are some principles that are taught in in scouting that I think are really missing today. How is we talked about this epidemic is is impacting the oil field mm-hmm. uh, and our economy, but how is that impacting scouting right now? Well, it's unfortunate because uh, like the rest of the world, you know, meetings are on hold, campouts are on hold. Um, we we're very excited about a new uh, summer camp that we're opening the new camp strike in the Sam Houston area council. And, um, um, and it's ready to go. It's a beautiful facility ready to go. And so, uh, itching to get, uh, get scouts up there having fun and enjoying it and earning merit badges and doing all the things that they do. So it's been, it's been very disruptive, but going back to what you were saying earlier, what I really enjoy about scouts and why I'm glad to be able to give back to it, uh, now at where I am in, in, in my life is that again, if you'd asked me, you know, 16 or 17, I drifted away from scouts too. Didn't think about it until I was probably in my 40s. But if you'd asked me about scouting through that period of time, I would have said, oh, it was nothing but fun, right? We're camping out. I went backpacking at Philmont, New Mexico and cooking in, you know, meals over an open fire and all that, that cool stuff. It was nothing but fun. It didn't dawn on me until later just how many wonderful lessons are embedded in 
scouting. Any organization that takes a bunch of 12-year-olds every week and has them say, on my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country. You know, having 12-year-olds talk about honor, talk about duty, talk about um, things bigger than themselves, that's a, that's a great thing. I mean, it's, that's just, I think the world needs more of that. And so, values, yeah. So the leadership laboratory that it provides is fantastic, but also just the, the character that it teaches, the responsibility that it, that it teaches. And, and actually, too, to kind of continue to build on this, one of the reasons I got involved with the, the leadership of the Sam Houston Area Council is one of the big initiatives we have is a, is a thing called Scout Reach. So you think about, you know, my son had a lot of opportunities available to right. him, but there are a lot of children in our community that are growing up in single parent homes that are more challenged. And scout, scouting really is a volunteer driven organization. And some poor single mom doesn't have time necessarily to serve as a cub master or even a den leader. And so, so scouting has intentionally and purposely focused on this community where that may be lacking a lot of really good constructive male role models. And said, scouting would be wonderful for these kids. And so we're bringing, using a new model, we're in partnership with uh, HISD here in Houston to bring a new model to, um, to, that, to that demographic and those, those kids and, and, and let them benefit from all the great things that, that scouting can bring. So that's really that, is what appealed to me. This is more of a mission than anything. Yeah. I want to talk more about that offline because I'm very interested in that. I want to get involved and in, in help with that. And coordinate with lead one of the you know, units served on a Fantastic. couple of boards. Together. We're always looking yeah. for um, for more help. So thank you. I want to Thanks. jump back to something you said a second sure. ago um, with, with regard to leadership and the size of company that you are, the influence that NOV has, uh, and you you made a slight mention of it with Boy Scouts now and girls in the Boy Scouts. Yep. Uh, diversity and inclusion DNI mm-hmm. is, a, yeah. is a, a, having its biggest push ever in right. our industry. It's something that David and I are are truly passionate about with this yes. podcast, being able to tell different stories. I don't want to say wake people up, but certainly bring a conversation that some people may not be thinking about and how does that affect them? So I'm, I'm curious to know yeah. how does NOV look at that? I know that there's a business. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Well, I, let me, so one of my, my key foundational belief about business is that it is fundamentally a team effort. And my key foundational belief about teams is that they always do better with a diversity of opinions, of perspectives, of there's always going to be disagreements tactically. Uh, how do we pursue something? There's always going to be different uh, skill sets. And so I think teams benefit from diversity. So I think it makes good business sense to have diversity across our, our across our, our businesses. And so I have been, you know, internally at NOV advocating for that. Um, and I think that's important, I think, to, to uh, uh, be more inclusive and bring different perspectives to, to, our, to our industry. But at the same time, we also need to be a meritocracy, right? So uh, it's fundamentally unfair if we're promoting someone strictly because, um, uh, you know, they, they, uh, they bring diversity, they check a box or whatever. And, and so um, I, think, I think my role in that and I think my senior team's role in that is to, is to challenge our leaders up and down the organization to say, hey, have you, who, who else do we need to consider? Let's make sure we're giving everybody a fair shake because there's a lot of very – Talented people uh, out there of all all races and colors, and and women as well as men, and uh, many that have are are have been historically underrepresented in our industry. So we can we can clearly do a better job, and and I think it starts with making sure that we're giving folks opportunities, um, giving them a chance to. I mentioned earlier, you know, 
sometimes we throw people into the deep end of the pool. Mm -hmm. And so we're giving, we're making sure that opportunity is available to everybody out there and setting those folks up to succeed. And really, I think that's all you can do. Honestly, I mean, you've got to show, you've got to show competence and you've got to show that you've also got to show the, the, the want, the tenacity, the grit to, if yeah. you are going to get thrown in the pool, you either sink or swim. And, um, uh, and, and, and I think that's a, yeah, that's well, a universal statement. Well, and all of us, I think that, that have met with, uh, you know, look, my success is due in large part to the fact that people in my past, in my career, took a chance on me, right? They threw me into the deep end of the pool and said, you know, he may succeed or fail, but they took that chance on me. And I think what we need to do is take a chance on. Uh, do you, do you have a little story? more expansive on who we? Well, we you're take right. A Everybody. I mean, on, right? right to right. One of the one of the uh, Leslie Byard that they did a study through PISA, yeah, and talking about why do, what a, would a woman and a man if they come into the business mm -hmm. not excel at the same point? And what they relayed that back to was the first promotion that mm -hmm. typically a man would get it before the woman and, and then it kind of sets a different trend. That's the first time I ever heard something that made a lot of sense to me on, well, you know what, that's, that's interesting to pay attention to younger men and women yeah. and, and men and kind of look at that like that is a critical time. So, you know, when I go and I mentor younger people, mm -hmm. I, I basically tell them the same thing. Like everyone, you need to worry, you're compete with everybody. Yeah. And so I don't know, is there somebody that, that got you when you were young uh, that, that, you look back as a great mentor or somebody that threw you in the deep oh, end and I've maybe been, held your head underwater for a minute. Or, <laughs> yeah, I've been very fortunate. I've had a lot of uh, yeah. great mentors and, and uh, uh, folks that um, that took a chance on me and um, and, and very appreciative for Did you the seek them out or that, did it just naturally? Uh, I mean, were you aware of that you needed that? I'm not 100% sure I, you know, actively said, hey, I need to go attach myself to, you know, that, that, that individual or not. Just like, I, I, I think... And I think as leaders, we need to find those people, give them a chance, recognize too that we're not as omniscient as sometimes as we think we are, right? That people frequently surprise you in a positive way. And so give them a chance to do that, set them, set them up for success and, yeah. and so forth. But, but the people in the organization, um, I would say you also kind of got to trust the organization to, to find you out. Job one is deliver great work. Whatever you're doing, make it high quality, make it on time, um, meet your, your responsibilities, be reliable, be dependable, develop a, uh, a reputation for being effective. And, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, our reputations are all that we have in business. And, and so, um, I think if you, if you, if you work hard, you do the right things, you sort of got to trust your organization, your employer to, to identify your talent and to, uh, recognize that and to, Give you those opportunities. Right. Yeah. Trust is a big part of it. It is. Yeah. It By, is. But going with both ways. Yeah. Our closing question, Clay, we always like to ask our guests if, if there's any any advice or, or thoughts you'd like to share with, with, with our group that maybe you would have liked to have had 30, 20, 10 years ago. Yeah. Last week. Yeah. <laughs> you I, might find helpful. Thanks for that. I'll, I'll build on what I just said, which is business is a team sport. I don't think I fully grasped that as a young person coming out of college. You know, I, I was ambitious and wanted to set the world on fire. And back then, it was a lot more about me. And as my, you know, as, as I've become hopefully a little, I've certainly become older, hopefully a little wiser, but certainly a lot more scarred. Um, I I really have realized it's it's really about us. And so, um, you know, my advice to everybody is to is to really focus on the team. And in a lot of ways, I think. Uh, 
success in business equals subordinating yourself to the team's success and recognizing that that uh, um, there's no individual failure or individual success without team success and, and being a part of that. And so I, I know I know a lot of self-help uh, books and podcasts and things talk about leadership. Sometimes I'd, I'm not sure we wouldn't be perhaps better served to talk a little more about followership, like what makes a good teammate. Mm-hmm. Um, That's and, a really good point. That is a great point. And, and if you think about it, you know, a good teammate, you know, in a Super Bowl contender executes their position very well, uh, number one. And so a team is made up of people who execute different positions, have different skill sets, who have different perspectives on things. But then number two also connects well with their teammates and trusts their teammates to execute their positions. And so I've seen it on teams that I've worked with in the past. Sometimes things can get caustic if you get one position player criticizing another position player. So I think first things first, unless you're executing your position perfectly, flawlessly, you don't really have a license. You can offer support and encouragement, but you got to get things done first things first to take care of your your area. And that's that that's what it entails to be a good a good teammate to that that mutual trust and respect and communication and then doing your part, carrying your weight for the team. And when you when you get to that place, and I'm very fortunate to I feel like I'm there because I work with a fantastic team at NOV, the team develops its own sort of direction and and shared vision of what success looks like and strategy and almost shared consciousness that is something that's really that's really special. And so when you get to that place where you're working with teammates and you're all pulling in the same direction for the same thing to achieve success and you have the shared values and everybody's pulling their weight, it's really, it's really, it's really pretty, pretty magical. And and you get you get joy out of that. I don't know, I don't know how else to describe it. I I, I find joy in working with the people that I work with. <clears throat> I think that's fantastic. And I would say, you know, I get around, got a lot of exposure. I would say you've got great followership and I've never heard anybody really ever speak a ill word about, about you or your leadership, followership, if you, if you will. And I think, I think it's a testament to what you just said. And you're very and kind, David. Thank you. I really appreciate you being here. Yeah. It means, it means a lot. It's to been me a real personally. pleasure. I've enjoyed the conversation. Josh and I, no, definitely. Is there anything, um, so nov.com mm-hmm. uh, are there any other websites or charities that you want to promote uh, that are that well, uh, something you're passionate about a couple of things so david and i served together on the center for hearing and speech uh, board um several years ago and yes, sir. we would both tell you it's a that's a wonderful organization about to open a new school yes uh we went through a capital campaign that uh, actually helps kids that are, are suffering through learn, uh, hearing disabilities and uses technology and, okay um also i serve on the board of spindletop which is also focused on uh on at-risk youth sure. in our community and does a lot of good things for the community. So, uh, but, you know, I think it's important for all of us to give back. Isn't Houston the most, I'm not from Houston. I, I find Houston to be the most giving city I've ever it been It absolutely to. is. It's incredible. It absolutely is. And I would trace the roots back to the oil field. This is an oil field town. Yeah. And the oil field really is a, a pretty special place. Well, I really enjoyed it. This was a pleasure of mine. And I know, David, thank you guys for getting this. But, uh, so we're going to wrap us up here. Mm-hmm. Um Mr. Clay Williams, NOV.com. If you want any research or want to look up NOV, it is a phenomenal company. 
I'm sure you know it. What do you think of By the, the way? Feel free to buy something if you're on that website. Immediately, <laughs> immediately. What? What? Real quick. We're running a special on everything we sell. Literally, <laughs> that's right. I'll take ten cold tubing units. <laughs> yeah. How much do you have in your pocket right now? What uh, is there? What What do you think of the moniker NOV with it, uh, no other vendor? I always thought that was. I've the never best. heard that before. I don't know what you're talking. About. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a great one. Well, this has been an <laughs> number awesome. one vendor. No, there we go. <laughs> and this is not at unprecedented times. This is the pass through. We are just passing through. Oh, to, yeah. It'll get better. It. It'll get better. Hang in there. I'm changing the whole thing. It's going to be great. Well, this show is going to change it. Well, that's going to wrap us up on the Old Phil 360 podcast. Um, you can find us on any plat- uh, podcast platform that you choose. Uh, our social media is Old Phil 360. Um, look us up. Give us a, some questions. If you have any complaints, you send those to David. If this is the best show you've ever heard, you send those to me. And that's our, our system. I just delete anything that looks like it's not... Josh, you did a great job. I'm like, this guy delete. So, uh, David. He's, he's, he says that, but then if I ever, I don't ever get any complaints, but if I do, he knows I'm going to share these critiques with him. No, so. I just, that's the best part about these, this podcast. I just, I just, it goes right over my head. I can't believe you guys would ever get a complaint. You're doing a fantastic job. Appreciate you getting the word out. Knock on wood, we haven't screwed it up yet, but we, we've got phenomenal guests that. Uh, Editing helps. Yeah, and edit. we got Jonathan <laughs> back there. Yeah, Jonathan. Uh, but that's it. Clay, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank, thank you, you the audience. Uh, Nebraska, you better be signing up. Take care. This episode of the Oil Field 360 podcast was brought to you by the following companies. EIV Capital, a growth equity-focused private equity firm, which has been providing capital to the North American energy industry since 2009. The team has extensive experience across the entire energy value chain. We invite you to visit EIVCapital.com and learn how we partner with entrepreneurs to build businesses. Merit Advisors, crafting holistic tax solutions to improve your cash flow and add profit back to your bottom line. When it comes to state and local taxes, Merit is the expert in the oil and gas industry. Visit MeritAdvisor.com. World Oil. For more than 103 years, World Oil has provided global decision makers with coverage of the latest market intelligence and technological advances relating to the upstream oil and gas industry. To subscribe and learn more about these essential resources, please visit worldoil.com slash subscribe. Thank you to our sponsors, Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, SimmonsPSC.com, Lockton Global Energy and Marine, Lockton.com, Tomahawk Safety, TomahawkSafety.com, Prang and Associates, Prang.com, Daniel Energy Partners, DanielEP.com, EIV Capital, EIVCapital.com, Galtway Marketing, GaltwayMarketing.com, Range Valuation Services, RangeValuationServices.com, Merit Advisors, MeritAdvisor.com, World Oil, WorldOil.com, Fletcher Azul Tequila, FletcherAzulTequila.com. For more information on today's guest and to learn more about our sponsors, please follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, or at OilField360.com. 
Piper Sandler Companies, NYSE PIPR, is a leading investment bank and institutional securities firm driven to help clients realize the power of partnership. Securities brokerage and investment banking services are offered in the U.S. through Piper Sandler & Company, member SIPC and FINRA, in Europe through Piper Sandler Limited, authorized and regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission. Asset management products and services are offered through four separate investment advisory affiliates, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC-registered Piper Sandler Investment Management, LLC, PJC Capital Partners, LLC, and Piper Sandler and & Company, and Guernsey-based Parallel General Partners Limited, authorized and regulated by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, are the energy specialists of Piper Sandler.